0: It's Friday, April 14th, 2023, the 814th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'myourmoderator.substack.com. Yesterday, we talked about Jack Teixeira, the young Air National Guardsman, 21 years old, who we are told is responsible for acquiring on his own and then leaking top secret United States and NATO war plans for the spring offensive in Ukraine. The 21 year old who we're told had top secret intelligence access two years ago at age 19. He got information from a skiff, got it out of there somehow. Somehow he was in the skiff and then took it out, put it on a discord server with young gamers and now he's been arrested for, I guess, espionage or something. The mainstream media has been sure to tell us that he is absolutely not a whistleblower. In fact, he's a gun enthusiast. He thinks that America is in decline. He makes racist jokes on the discord server. So he's being framed basically as MAGA. And now all of the attention is on him and on his background that we have no reason to believe, by the way, they told us. David DePop, the man who executed Paul Pelosi hammer time, was MAGA because he had written some blogs just a few days before that all appeared at the same time, even though he was a lifelong nudist and drug addict who lived in a crack house with BLM signs out in the front yard. Very, very MAGA, and the whole attack was very, very real, and there's nothing to be suspicious about at all. We definitely got the real story from the mainstream media, and poor Paul Pelosi is lucky to be alive, blah, blah, blah. We have been given a story so far that is completely unbelievable. In fact, the only part of the story that makes any sense at all is what was revealed in the documents about how Ukraine is losing in spectacular fashion and U.S. troops are involved. It's basically an unannounced American war in Ukraine against Russia. The people didn't approve of that. Congress didn't approve of it, but the TV approves of it and the intel community approves of it and the fake administration approves of it. So here we are. Now, the question has been, why is this happening? Why is the mainstream media announcing all of this? It essentially proves that they've been lying about what's happening in Ukraine for the entirety of the last year, while convincing people to support Ukrainian Nazis who have been there, by the way, since World War II and maybe before. Bioweapons labs, human Drug and weapons trafficking, corruption, money laundering, and they support all that while ignoring the fact that the global regime, particularly the evil twin faction in the United States, has overthrown the government of Ukraine twice in the last 20 years. They ignore the fact that an ethnic civil war has been waged in Ukraine for the last nine years by those Ukrainian Nazis against Russian ethnic civilians in Ukraine. They skipped over all that to convince the American people to support this war that is essentially just an effort to defend the global regime in one of their strongholds in Ukraine. You see, that plot of land is very, very important to them. It's almost like they have familial history there or something. So knowing this threat exists, that they might eventually be exposed as complete and total liars who wagged the dog for a totally unjust war where hundreds of thousands potentially of people are dying. Why have they been so willing to spread this story around? Something about it has always been very strange. And people have proposed this answer. We discussed it a little bit on the podcast yesterday. We now have our answer from NBC News, and this is actually from Wednesday, so I'm sorry I missed it. And of course, Ken Delanian, the guy who just distributes whatever messages he is given by the military industrial complex and the intelligence community and the law enforcement community. He is one of the main media stooges for the deep state. U.S. intel agencies may change how they monitor social media and chat rooms after missing leaked U.S. documents for weeks. So the intel community missed the fact that these documents were out there for weeks. They have to do something about it. What are they going to do? The Biden administration is looking at expanding how it monitors social media sites and chat rooms after U.S. intelligence agencies failed to spot classified Pentagon documents circulating online for weeks, according to a senior administration official and a congressional official briefed on the matter. The possible change in the intelligence gathering process is just one potential shift as officials scrambled to determine not only how the documents leaked, but also how to prevent another damaging incident. President Joe Biden and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin were briefed about the disclosure last week. Administration officials say, But the secret documents appeared online in early March on the Discord social media app, according to Bellingcat, the open source investigative group. Some documents may have appeared as early as January, the group said, and they're not deep state at all. The president and other officials were dismayed when they learned the documents had been online for at least a month. Nobody is happy about this, said the administration official. The administration is looking at expanding the universe of online sites that intelligence agencies and law enforcement authorities track, the official said. The secret Pentagon documents appeared in an obscure part of the Internet focused on gaming, and some former intelligence officials said it was understandable that U.S. authorities did not spot the disclosure. Discord is not a remotely obscure part of the Internet, and it's not in any way focused on gaming. It is just a group messaging platform. It's basically the public version of the business application Slack in terms of its user interface and capabilities. And you have to love how they continue pointing out the gamers aspect because they've gone after that so many times before, all the way back to Gamergate. They've made it very easy to paint all gamers as these Evil little people huddling around in the corners of the dark web. It's ridiculous. The U.S. government may not have been looking there, but cybersecurity experts have long known that Discord has been used by criminals and hackers to spread malware and stealthily transfer stolen information. Should we really believe that the U.S. government was not looking there, even though cybersecurity experts have long known about this? The U.S. government monitors chats in video games. Discord isn't some secret hideaway. The Discord domain helps attackers disguise the exfiltration of data by making it look like any other traffic coming across the network, said a 2021 report by Cisco's Talos cybersecurity team. The intelligence community is now grappling with how it can scrub platforms like Discord in search of relevant material to avoid a similar leak in the future, said the congressional official. You got to love NBC articles. It's basically like one or two sentences every paragraph. It reads like a really long tweet, just dumbed down. The disclosure has also raised fresh questions about how sensitive intelligence information is handled inside the government and whether the pool of people allowed to access it needs to be scaled back. Duh. In the aftermath of the leak, the administration has already tightened access to classified information and is looking at other steps, officials said. And one would think that they would be more concerned about how information like this was acquired in the first place rather than where some kid posted it online. But of course, that's why we have the kid who posted it online so that we assume he is fully to blame and it wasn't anyone else. The leaked documents appear to contain sensitive and highly classified material and pose a potentially serious risk to national security, the Pentagon said on Monday. NBC News obtained more than 50 of the documents, which appear to be briefing slides for the U.S. military's joint staff based on information from a range of U.S. intelligence agencies. The documents include detailed intelligence on Russian tactical moves in the war in Ukraine, descriptions of Ukraine's combat power and weaknesses, alleged sabotage by Ukrainian agents inside Belarus and Russia, and spying reports on allies, including South Korea and Israel. Much of the intelligence reporting in the documents is signals intelligence, or electronic eavesdropping, as the source of the information, a crucial tool for America's spy services. The Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the CIA, The NSA and the Pentagon have declined to comment on the information contained in the documents. The intelligence leak doesn't appear, at least so far, to resemble previous incidents that involved double agents handing over information directly to foreign adversaries or self-described whistleblowers providing secret documents to media outlets. Instead, the information appeared in a private online chat room, not a typically secure location to pass along sensitive material to a spy service, but also not an obvious means to reveal secrets to the world. You got that? So he's not a whistleblower because he didn't go to the mainstream media. That's the case that's being made here. When someone wants to whistleblow, what they do is go to a mainstream media outlet that already has its own intelligence ties, and they make sure that they're allowed to whistleblow first. Now, again, I'm not sure any of this is true, so I'm not defending Jack Teixeira. Jack Teixeira is irrelevant. Jack Teixeira doesn't even have to exist for this story to exist. In the media, the way it is right now, that man might not even be a real person and they would still do this. Everyone should understand that. Now, am I claiming he's not a real person? No, I'm just saying he is irrelevant. They could run this story, making someone up, applying a description. They have a teenager with his face blacked out. That's who they talked to. That's who they found all this out from. This story could be fake from its very roots. They have John Brennan and Leon Panetta out there talking about all this. You think that they're just on TV to tell everybody the truth about what's happening? Of course not. These are people who signed the letter from former intelligence agencies that said Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation. Photographs of the documents first appeared on Discord app channels focused on the Minecraft computer game and followers of a minor YouTube celebrity known as Wow Mao, according to Bellingcat and other online experts. The photograph documents then eventually made their way to the image board 4chan, then pro-Russian telegram channels and Twitter. The New York Times first reported on the documents last week. So, Just in that paragraph, think about what they're doing. They just pointed out four platforms that they find dangerous and need more censorship to deal with. Twitter, Discord, 4chan, Telegram. All of those are very, very bad. You see the entire chain. Now, were these documents posted a million other places? Yes, but these are the ones we should focus on. If the administration tries to check online chat rooms more closely, it will have to navigate legal safeguards designed to protect Americans' privacy and freedom of expression, former intelligence officials said. And again, massive lie, indicating that they're not already doing that when everyone knows they are. They have fed infiltrators in all of these places. Watching a public chat room is fair game. But law enforcement agencies don't have the legal authority to monitor a private online chat room without probable cause. The former officials said, we do not have nor do we want a system where the United States government monitors private Internet chats, said Glenn Gerstel, former general counsel of the NSA from 2015 to 2020. And you can definitely trust him. They don't have any of this stuff and they don't even want it their number one concern is never, ever violating the privacy rights or constitutional rights of American citizens. They're here to protect us. Don't you understand? U.S. laws prohibit searching private chat rooms preemptively and, quote, scanning for classified documents, end quote. That may or may not be there, Gersell said. As a democracy, ha <laughs> ha, The U.S. requires law enforcement authorities to balance national security with civil liberties, said James Lewis, a former senior intelligence official and now a fellow at the Center for Strategic and International Studies think tank. And let's pause there for a second, because whenever they are quoting someone, it's always nice to know where that person is coming from and whose viewpoint that person is representing. A great place to find this, as always, is influencewatch.org. You can go to influencewatch.org, type in Center for Strategic and International Studies, and you can find their funding. The Center for Strategic and International Studies receives most of its contributions and grants from private grant-making foundations, including the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Open Society Foundations, and the Rockefeller Brothers Fund. But that's not all. That's never all. The William and Flora Hewlett Foundation. We hear about them all the time, don't we? The Carnegie Corporation of New York. Again, we hear about them all the time. The Henry Luce Foundation, the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, Climate Works Foundation, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, and there are even more than that. On its website, the Center for Strategic and International Studies notes donors that contributed $5,000 or more during the 2020 fiscal year. These donors include the Smith Richardson Foundation, Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation, Charles Koch Foundation, Oceans 5, ClearPath, Freedom House, Bloomberg Philanthropies, World Wildlife Fund, Bank of America Corporation, Northrop Grumman Corporation, bp citigroup facebook general atomics johnson and johnson microsoft raytheon amazon apple ibm and disney and who runs the center for strategic and international studies his name is john hamry john hamry is the president of the center for strategic and international studies before accepting his position as president of the organization in 2000, Hamry was the 26th United States Deputy Secretary of Defense and Undersecretary of Defense in the Clinton administration a staff member of the Senate Armed Services Committee and the Deputy Assistant Director for National Security and International Affairs in the Congressional Budget Office. He was also made chairman of the Defense Policy Board by Secretary of Defense Robert Gates in 2007. And on the board of trustees, they have Thomas J. Pritzker. And you can find out all about the Pritzker family. Paul Ryan. William K. Riley of the World Wildlife Fund, Brendan Bechtel of the Bechtel Group, some bankers, and then none other than Henry Kissinger. This is the organization that NBC News has turned to to give us the truth about these leaks. If you don't know there's a crime being committed, you can't just burst into the club, Lewis said. However, the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security have come under criticism for how they responded to alarming posts on social media in the run-up to the January 6th attack on the Capitol by former President Trump supporters. You got that? So the very violent insurrection is going to help support this censorship effort as well. The House January 6th committee concluded the FBI and DHS were too cautious about acting on information gleaned from social media out of misplaced concern over potential free speech violations, NBC News previously reported. Well, that's interesting because Donald Trump had offered 10 to 20,000 National Guard soldiers to be stationed in Washington, D.C. and was turned down by Nancy Pelosi and D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser. And how come they haven't located the pipe bombers yet? Gosh, it's all so weird. Senate Intelligence Committee Chairman Mark Warner said the leak raised yet more questions about how the government manages its secrets. Only months after revelations that successive administrations appeared to have mishandled classified documents. Well, no, you've said that Donald Trump mishandled classified documents. Everyone else actually did that, most especially the fake president, Joe Biden. We've now got two examples, you know, the potential mishandling of documents by current and former presidents, and now this potential leak or real leak, Warner told NBC News in an interview in Harrisonburg, Virginia. I think it does raise a question that in some cases we way overclassify. In other cases, we may give out the documents to too many people, the senator said. I think it's time that Congress plays a role here in setting some of the parameters. Oh, now it's time. Not when the fake president got us involved in a foreign war that has no bearing on American national security or the good of the American people. That wasn't the time when Congress should have exercised its power. Got it. Ronald Marx, a former CIA officer and a visiting professor at George Mason University, said the pendulum has swung back and forth over the past two decades over how much intelligence should be shared across the government. Remember, the whole thing after 9-11 was the need to share. And the concern was that if you kept this stuff too tight, we might miss something, Marx said. So you get more and more info all the time, which means you've got to store this stuff and collate this stuff, which means that you've got more and more contractors and other people involved with it all the time. He said a Pentagon team is currently evaluating the potential fallout from the leak. Senator Warner said it's too early to tell how much damage may have been caused by the disclosure. The exposure of so much classified reporting from electronic surveillance could have a devastating impact on the country's intelligence gathering, according to Gerstel and other former intelligence officials. This could be very, very significant in terms of denying us access to information that is strategically important for us. And that would be a bad outcome because it would take years for us to recover that kind of access and cost a lot of money, he said. So we have to pass the restrict act and make sure that we can censor people more. And, you know, we need to censor them in order to protect them from authoritarian governments that might come in here and try to oppress American citizens by doing things like uh, uh, suppressing their speech. Basically, we have to censor them here so they don't get censored from over there. We we have to fight the terrorists there so we don't have to fight them here. That's my George W. Bush impression. I think it was all right for a first shot. I'm not sure how long I could keep that up for. Certainly not as long as Bernie Sanders or Ben Shapiro. So at best for the administration, this leak, to the extent that it is real at all, would be one of the worst breaches of national security you could possibly imagine. Eventually, the responsibility for that would have to fall directly in the lap of normally the president, in this case, the fake president, and the buck would stop with him. Of course, the buck can't stop with the president if the president isn't a real president. There is no backstop for any of this because they put Joe Biden in this position to do what he's told. He doesn't have any decision-making power, so he ultimately can't bear any responsibility. The people who would have to hold him responsible are the people who put him in power. So the buck doesn't stop with Joe Biden. The buck doesn't come anywhere near Joe Biden. The buck stops with a 21-year-old kid on an internet platform who may or may not be real and may or may not be related to any of this at all. There is absolutely no reason At this point, to suspect that any of the story is real. And one would also imagine that this would kind of wrap up the whole Ukraine war thing. And by the way, that might be their intention. They might just have to take the L over there and stop pushing for it, especially if they're hoping for something between China and Taiwan that they can get involved with. You think any Americans are going to be lining up behind Joe Biden to save Taiwan after this debacle? Doubtful. So what are they going to do? Well, they can at least censor us. Now, Victoria Newland, who is as deep state as they come, is pretty upset about how things are going for the regime.
2: As the Ukrainian people heroically defend their immediate future, we must also help them begin planning for their long term recovery. Together, We are working on how to support Ukraine's military of the future so that Russia can't simply storm back after this next counteroffensive and take land again in a few months or in a few years. We will also help rebuild Ukraine's energy infrastructure so it comes back greener and more resilient. We will help strengthen Ukraine's government institutions to ensure they deliver dignity an opportunity for all Ukraine citizens and that they are better hardened against corruption. And we will help rebuild Ukraine's cities and towns and villages, so displaced Ukrainians can return home without fear, reunite with their loved ones, and get back to their businesses, to their farms, and to the work of building a peaceful, democratic future. We also need to help deepen Ukraine's integration with Europe and make its products a larger part of a healthy and democratic global supply chains. And we also have to ensure that Ukraine lives up to its potential as a global technology center. Our work together here is not simply about rebuilding what Putin has so criminally destroyed. It's about the complete modernization and revitalization of Ukraine. Our shared goal must not be a Ukraine that simply survives. It must be a Ukraine that thrives.
0: Now, I imagine that most of you understand that naturally. What she is saying is that they need to build back better in Ukraine. Isn't that incredible? create a massive society destroying crisis and in its place, they're going to build the most perfect thing. They're going to make Ukraine, California again. It's going to be green. It's going to be a tech center. What about Ukraine right now? Suggests that it's going to become a tech center. I did an episode months ago where I went through this article. I believe it was from 2012. I think maybe it was even an op-ed by George Soros talking about his goals for investment in Ukraine and how all of that would happen. They were going to pump in all of this European money. The businesses would spring up. Their profits would go back to the Open Society Foundation. So it didn't seem like George Soros was the one getting rich on it. She is basically just restating that same agenda from Soros. And that speech was from yesterday. That's after 14 months of Russia dismantling the global regime in Ukraine. She thinks they're not only going to win, they're going to take over all of Ukraine, push Russia out completely and then build back better. And of course, in the child brain mindset, this kind of makes some sort of sense. Oh, you know, we can just take the lead and gradually we'll push Russia away. And then once Russia is back in Russia, oh, it'll all be over and we'll have peace and stability in the region. We are going to make Ukraine, California again. Does anyone believe that? That Russia is just going to be like, oh, yeah, you know what? We had half of Ukraine and uh, you guys, you sure showed us we lost I guess you guys get the win. Let's shake hands and we'll move on. Never. That's not going to happen. Any talk of this is nonsense. But they're still doubling down. They're still escalating. They're still moving forward. Why? Because they have no choice. This is existential for them. And speaking of that very existential crisis, here is another article from earlier in the week. This is Breitbart. Political website kowtowed to Macron's demand to cut more frank comments on China. The political website has come under criticism for admitting that it redacted French President Emmanuel Macron's more frank statements on the issue of Taiwan after being pressured by the LSA Palace. Following his visit to Communist China last week, President Macron gave an interview to journalists from the German-owned. American website Politico, as well as members of the French press. And you might be thinking, wait, Politico is a German outlet? Yep, it is. The interview with the website spurred international backlash over the French leaders apparent disregard for the alliance with the United States, including on Europe's continued use of the American dollar as a reserve currency and saying that the EU should not follow the U.S. into a conflict with Beijing should Xi Jinping launch an invasion of the democratic and independent nation of Taiwan, which the communists claim a right to despite never governing over the island. Nice editorializing, Breitbart. However, apparently even more controversial comments were cut from the Politico article at the request of Macron's administration. In a footnote at the bottom of the article, the website claimed that, quote, as is common in France and many other European countries, the French president's office known as the Elysee palace insisted on checking and proofreading all the president's quotes to be published in this article as a condition of granting the interview. This violates Politico's editorial standards and policy, but we agreed to the terms in order to speak directly with the French president. Politico insisted that it cannot deceive its readers and would not publish anything the president did not say. The quotes in this article were all actually said by the president, but some parts of the interview in which the president spoke even more frankly about Taiwan and Europe's strategic autonomy were cut out by the LSA. The footnote added, so very important journalistic integrity at Politico, just not this time. According to Britain's Daily Telegraph newspaper, citing a source close to the story, all three media outlets that were granted an interview with Macron agreed to the terms of allowing the Elysee to proofread and redact quotes before publication. The paper noted that this strong arming from the government is nothing new in France, with redacted interviews published in the French media carrying the tag, reread and corrected, below the headline in such cases. Yet even a former politico journalist criticized the neoliberal outlet for acquiescing to the demands of the Macron government. Ex-French correspondent for the site, Rim Momtaz, said, Covering the Elysee is difficult because you have to have the spine to negotiate the terms of your access and interviews. When I interviewed Macron one-on-one for Politico on Lebanon, not a word was proofread or redacted by the Elysee. Those were my non-negotiable terms. Momtaz added, journos negotiate terms prior to speaking to Macron. You either accept them or change them. And if you can't change them and aren't happy with them, you decline the interview." That's the leverage journos have collectively because the Élysée needs the coverage. It is perhaps understandable why the French government would seek to rein in the comments made by the president, given the potential international ramifications. Indeed, shortly following the publication of Macron's comments, Republican Senator Marco Rubio suggested pulling support for the war in Ukraine, questioning why America is spending the lion's share of military spending to supposedly protect Europe if allies in capitals such as Paris would be unwilling to back the U.S. in a conflict with China. If, in fact, Macron speaks for all of Europe and their position now is they're not going to pick sides between the U.S. and China over Taiwan, maybe we shouldn't be picking sides either. The typically neoconservative and hawkish Florida senator said, And that's rather amazing, isn't it? You know, we often wonder why Trump supports certain figures who seem to be old school swamp rats and very much part of the establishment, like Marco Rubio, for instance. Well, Marco Rubio was the person who asked Victoria Newland in the Senate about bioweapons labs in Ukraine. That was big. This is also big, suggesting that Europe is not going to pick sides in the China-Taiwan issue, and maybe we shouldn't either? That is a major, major narrative shift for someone in Rubio's position and with Rubio's history. Now, we can't just take this at face value and assume there's not something else going on. There's probably another shoot a drop that will fill us in on exactly what is being manipulated here. But for now, this is pretty good news. It also strengthens the point that I was making in the podcast on Tuesday and then the one Trump made later that night in his interview with Tucker Carlson, the supposed unification of Europe and NATO and the United States that the illegitimate president has bragged about for the last year plus is a complete and total falsehood. France will not intervene in China, Taiwan They are moving away from the American dollar. They are not interested in following America's lead, which means the lead of the global regime. He is casting doubt on the U.S. providing security guarantees for Europe, which means that for all intents and purposes, NATO is just dissolved. If the United States is not providing a security guarantee for Europe, there's no NATO. And that's just what he told us in the comments that they would publish. Apparently, it's much worse. And as you might suspect, the global regime is freaking out about all of this. This is zero hedge today. Polish Prime Minister mocks Macron for favoring severing ties with the U.S. to appease China. It's been no secret that U.S. and Poland ties, particularly on the level of military coordination, have greatly accelerated in recent years. This has been especially on display since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Poland's prime minister on Thursday lashed out at French President Emmanuel Macron's controversial China comments, which came just after his visit with Xi Jinping. Matthias Morawiecki openly mocked the French leader's call for European strategic autonomy, which included follow up comments about not being Washington's vassals. European autonomy sounds fancy, doesn't it? But it means shifting the center of European gravity toward China and severing ties with the U.S., Morawiki said in response. Short-sightedly, they look to China to be able to sell more EU products there at huge geopolitical costs, making us more dependent on China and not less. The Polish prime minister continued while on a visit to Washington. Some European countries are trying to make with China the same mistake which was made with Russia. This dramatic mistake, he added. His scathing critique of Macron's words, which we reviewed previously, were given before the NATO-linked Atlantic Council think tank in D.C. So the prime minister of Poland comes to visit the Atlantic Council in D.C. to tell globalists that they're all in big, big trouble. And some more of his remarks. Paraphrasing Macron's remarks without naming him, Morawiecki said... You cannot protect Ukraine today and tomorrow by saying Taiwan is not your business. What could that even possibly mean? Those two situations should not be connected, but they are connected. Why? Because both places are critical regime strongholds. That's the only connection. Why in the world would Europe and America have an interest in China and Taiwan That justifies sending our own citizens to go die to protect those regime strongholds. It's honestly crazy that they're even attempting this. It makes no sense at all. In fact, if Ukraine was the really important thing and it wasn't both regime strongholds, then it would only make sense to protect Ukraine today and tomorrow by saying Taiwan is not your business. The only perspective through which this makes sense is the global regime perspective that I have been going on and on and on about for well over two years. I think that, God forbid, if Ukraine falls, if Ukraine gets conquered, the next day, China may attack, can attack Taiwan. Alluding to Macron's comments alongside President Xi Jinping about a more multipolar role, Morawiki scoffed. European autonomy sounds fancy, doesn't it? But it means shifting the center of European gravity toward China and severing ties with the U.S. I do not quite understand the concept of strategic autonomy if it means de facto shooting into our own knee. Kind of sounds like the regime is between a rock and a hard place. During the remarks, Morawiki also took swipes at lukewarm European support to Ukraine when compared to the United States in statements which seemed implicitly directed at Germany and France, Per AFP, the French outlet, Western nations have grown accustomed to a model based on cheap energy from Russia, high margin trade with China, low cost labor from Eastern Europe and security for free from the United States. Morawiki said now their modus vivendi collapsed in ruins. So what do they do? They want a quick ceasefire armistice in Ukraine almost at any price. He said some politicians in Western Europe are thinking, Ukraine, why are you fighting so bravely? He said. Now, maybe it's just me, but I feel like it's getting easier and easier to tell who's on which side at this point. This is from the same French outlet AFP, reprinted in Insider Paper. Orban backs Macron over China remarks. Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban on Friday backed French President Emmanuel Macron over his controversial warning against Europe potentially becoming a vassal of the United States. Macron raised hackles on both sides of the Atlantic over the weekend in an interview in which he said Europe should not be a follower of either Washington or Beijing or get caught up in any escalation over Taiwan. The French president, who just returned from China, stood by his comments on Wednesday, saying that being a U.S. ally did not mean being a vassal. The French president is looking for potential partners and not enemies, which is similar to the Hungarian position. We must start from our own interests, not take into account the interests of others, Orban said in his weekly radio address. It is necessary to think through whether the American foreign policy interests coincide with the European ones, added Orban. The pair met last month in Paris, where the French president underscored the need for European unity on the Ukraine war. President Macron is honorable, but he does not imagine the future of Europe in the same way as Hungary, Orban said, highlighting his belief in a Christian renaissance. In a separate development, Washington this week levied sanctions against a Russian-led bank in Budapest and three of its officials, two Russians and a Hungarian. Hungary's government said Thursday it was quitting the International Investment Bank. Orban said on Friday that the sanctions made the bank's operation impossible, rendering, quote, Hungary's further participation pointless. He also described the U.S. government as, quote, the biggest supporter of the war in Ukraine, while reiterating that Hungary, quote, supports peace and peace talks. The Hungarian-American friendship must endure this difference of opinion. We have good relations with the Americans. The U.S. is our friend and important ally, said Orban, who openly supports former President Donald Trump. And that's true. As we know, they have a long history. Orban was also out there among other international leaders a week or so ago talking about the injustice of Donald Trump being indicted by the communists up in New York. He was actually joined in that sentiment by Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador. You really can see the coalition of sovereign nations that is forming to protect their own sovereignty. They are all agreeing, hey, this is what we're doing. We are going to create a parallel world vision. And if you want to sign up with us and get rid of those global communists, You're welcome to do so. We can see that coalition forming. And it just so happens to be among countries that are allied with Donald Trump. Gosh, isn't that strange? I wonder if he was doing all of that while he was president and then smiling while he watches Joe Biden and the regime flailing in any attempt to stop it. David Pressman, U.S. ambassador in Budapest on Wednesday, expressed. Concerns about the continued eagerness of Hungarian leaders to expand and deepen ties with Russia despite the war. Orban, who fostered close ties with Russian President Vladimir Putin before the war, has drawn fierce criticism from both EU and NATO allies for his neutral stance on the invasion. Oh, how is he withstanding the criticism? I can't believe Europeans are mad at me. (laughs) I swear, I used to say this in L.A., Everybody in the party of false decorum acts as if they are trying to impress an imaginary Frenchman. They pretend like they've traveled all around the world. They are the most cultured people on the planet, and they know that the French are the most refined. They all at all times want to impress their imaginary French friends. It is honestly so dumb. But as dumb as it is, that is the ideology enforced within the party of false decorum. And it's very powerful. If you think that life is all about impressing people with higher social status than yourself. And we have a culture committed to inculcating that. Now, switching gears a bit, the DeSantis simps have been out in full force for the last 24 hours. And I suspect that it might be related to this article from yesterday in an outlet called Puck News. Now, Puck News is purely globalist. Julia Yaffe is like their main writer. So we have to understand the regime bias going in. But the article's headline is SBF informants and a strange DeSantis bedfellow. Now, the article is really long. Check it out on your own if you want to get the full picture. But Raheem Kassam, and Jack Montgomery over at the National Pulse have whittled it down to a nice small size and captured the important stuff. The headline, Fusion GPS linked Democrat mega donor bankrolls Trump's rape accuser considers backing DeSantis in GOP primaries. Democrat mega donor Reid Hoffman who became a billionaire by founding business networking website LinkedIn, is bankrolling the former L magazine advice columnist who accuses Donald Trump of raping her in a New York department store nearly 30 years ago. Hoffman, 55, has told New York magazine's Kara Swisher, The short answer is, I will spend as much as I possibly can, and it takes and is effective to beat Trump. This could involve aiding other GOP primary candidates, reports Puck News, to the point where Hoffman and his cohorts are investigating state primary rules, as well as the idea of supporting anti-Trump right-leaning media. The issue was discussed at length in a late March podcast by the new D.C.-based news site. While Hoffman has demurred on specifically endorsing a Republican candidate, claiming, quote, I'm almost certainly in the Biden camp. Those in his employ are said to be eyeing up Trump's primary opponents with a view to supporting them as the first way of stopping him retaking the White House. The portly plutocrat was also outed recently as the money man behind 79 year old Trump accuser E. Jean Carroll. Carroll has previously denied receiving outside funding for her litigation, but her attorney, Roberta Kaplan, has now conceded to Trump lawyer Alina Haba that the fired Agony Ant, quote, remembered just recently that she had been told at some point about outside funding by a nonprofit and that it was irrelevant to her claim anyway. Consequently, Haba wrote to the judge overseeing the lawsuit, Louis Kaplan, raising significant concerns as to, quote, the plaintiff's bias and motive in commencing the litigation. Carol's lawyer, Roberta, is perhaps best known for her work on the Time's Up movement before turning on them and smearing sexual accusers of former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Hoffman is one of the largest donors to the Democratic Party, reportedly one of the most influential Democratic donors of the Trump era and a vocal critic of defendant Trump and his political policies, Haba argued. In fact, Hoffman is on record stating that he would spend as much as he possibly can to avoid another Trump presidency, saying it would be destructive to our society. And since 2017, has reportedly been funding groups to create a bulwark against Mr. Trump's agenda. Previously, Hoffman contributed more than $600,000 to the legal defense fund of Bean LLC, otherwise known as Fusion GPS, the company responsible for the creation of the Steele dossier. And was the primary source of funding for an organization that launched an elaborate false flag operation which involved spreading misinformation about a Republican senatorial candidate in the hopes that it would cost him the senatorial election. Haba noted Hoffman's team is currently studying early voting states, party registration requirements, demographic groups, state g o p nominating rules, media ecosystems, etc., to see where they can move the needle noted Puck writer. Teddy Schleifer in reporting, which was subsequently picked up by Politico. And if they do inadvertently elect a president DeSantis, I'm told that Hoffman and advisor Dimitri Melhorn at a high level don't view the Florida governor as an existential threat to democracy, unlike Trump, and believe he may even have the ability to successfully govern. Isn't that nice to know? The regime believes that Ron DeSantis is not a threat to the regime the way Trump is, and he might even have the ability to successfully govern. You would have to imagine that they mean in a bipartisan fashion, which really means a unipartisan fashion, which really means he's just a servant of the regime, according to people who want to protect the regime by donating to him. DeSantis, once popular with Trump's base, has not officially announced a run at the Republican nomination due to Florida requirements that he resign as governor before doing so. He is currently engaged in an effort to change the law to allow him to keep his job if he loses in the primary. Insiders expect this to be wrapped up by May or June. Hoffman will certainly not be the only Democrat seeking to muddy the Republican primary waters with injections of cash. And DeSantis, team are scarcely alone on the right in accepting such donations. And more accurately, it would just be regime figures, not just Democrat donors, donors who want to preserve the uniparty on behalf of the global regime. In 2022, the National Pulse revealed that Matt Schlapp's CPAC organization accepted six-figure sums from George Soros-linked funds in order to promote left-wing ideas. In the following months, CPAC lost thousands of attendees for its conference and is rumored to have parted ways with a number of top staff. Consider what the regime is doing and ask yourself, does this seem like the regime is fully in power? and that all hope is lost. They're going to do everything. Cashless central bank, digital currency, vaccine mandates, fully tracking everything. ESG scores, cut off your ability to spend, cut off your ability to go places. They're going to be attacking you with robot dogs, the whole thing. They have all the power. Well, if they have all the power, why are they consistently losing? And why are they so desperate all the time? And if all of this information that I try to provide every episode is not enough to convince you of that. Consider the fact that all of the very important conspiracy theories are coming true. Consider that some of the stories they have worked years or decades to cover up, to never allow the truth to get to light. Those stories themselves are unwinding. Tucker and was reporting a couple of months ago about how the CIA assassinated John F. Kennedy Jr. That's something basically everyone has known, but everyone ignores. We're getting all sorts of reporting, refuting the central narrative when it comes to Richard Nixon. We are hearing about how they lie about war after war after war. Well, this is from this week in RT News, that's Russia Today News. So according to the regime, this is Russian propaganda. Let's view it as such. All of this is probably false. It's not, but it's probably false, right? I have to say that because I'm not a Russian propagandist. This is probably false, but let's go ahead and read it anyway. Special service declassified Guantanamo court filing suggests some 9-11 hackers were CIA agents. This is from Wednesday in RT. An explosive court filing from the Guantanamo Military Commission, a court considering the cases of defendants accused of carrying out the 9-11 terrorist attacks on New York, has seemingly confirmed the unthinkable. The document was originally published via a Guantanamo Bay court docket, but while public, it was completely redacted. Independent researchers obtained an unexpurgated copy. It is an account by the commission's lead investigators, DEA veteran Don Canastraro of his personal probe of potential Saudi government involvement in the 9-11 attacks conducted at the request of the defendant's lawyers. Two of the hijackers were being closely monitored by the CIA and may, wittingly or not, have been recruited by Langley long before they flew planes into the World Trade Center buildings. Of the great many enduring mysteries of the 9-11 attacks still unresolved over two decades later, perhaps the biggest and gravest relate to the activities of Nawaf al-Hazmi and Khalid al-Midhar in the 18 months leading up to that fateful day. The pair traveled to the U.S. on multi-entry visas in January 2000, despite having repeatedly been flagged by the CIA and NSA previously as likely al-Qaeda terrorists. Mere days before their arrival, they attended an al-Qaeda summit in Kuala Lumpur, during which key details of the 9-11 attacks are likely to have been discussed and agreed. The meeting was secretly photographed and videotaped by Malaysian authorities at the direct request of the CIA's ALEC station, a special unit set up to track Osama bin Laden, although oddly no audio was captured. Still, this background should have been sufficient to prevent Hazmi and Midar from entering the U.S., or at least enough for the FBI to be informed of their presence in the country. As it was, they were admitted for a six-month period at Los Angeles International Airport without incident, and bureau representatives within Alex Station were blocked from sharing this information with their superiors by the CIA. We've got to tell the bureau about this. These guys are clearly bad. One of them at least has a multiple entry visa to the U.S. We've got to tell the FBI. Mark Rossini, a member of Alex Station, has recalled discussing with his colleagues. But the CIA said to me, no, it's not the FBI's case, not the FBI's jurisdiction. Immediately upon arrival, Hazmi and Midhar encountered a Saudi national residing in California named Omar al Bayumi in an airport restaurant. Over the next two weeks, he helped them find an apartment in San Diego, co-signed their lease, gave them $1,500 toward their rent, and introduced them to Anwar al Walaki, an imam at a local mosque. al Walaki was killed in a U.S. drone strike in Yemen in 2011. In the wake of 9-11, Bayumi, unsurprisingly became a subject of interest in an FBI probe of potential Saudi involvement in the attacks known as Operation Encore. In a 2003 interview with investigators in Riyadh, he claimed his meeting with Hazmi and Midhar was a coincidence. He heard them speaking Arabic, realized they couldn't speak English, and decided to assist them out of charity. The Bureau reached a very different conclusion. Bayumi was a Saudi intelligence operative and part of a wider militant Wahhabist network in the U.S., which handled a myriad of potential and actual terrorists and monitored the activities of anti-Riyadh dissidents abroad. What's more, Encore judged there to be a 50-50 chance he had advanced knowledge of the 9-11 attacks before they happened, and so did the Saudi government. You got to wonder if this has anything to do with why the regime was so opposed to Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman taking over in Saudi Arabia. These bombshell facts remained hidden from the public view until March 2022, when a trove of FBI documents was declassified at the request of the White House. The newly released Guantanamo Military Commission filing sheds even further light on Bayoumi's contact with Hazmi and Medar. And in turn, the CIA's keen interest in them, their activities throughout their stay in the U.S., and refusal to disclose their presence to the FBI until late August 2001. The filing is an account by the commission's lead investigator, DEA veteran Don Canestraro, of his personal probe of potential Saudi government involvement in the 9-11 attacks conducted at the request of the defendant's lawyers. Based on a review of classified information held by and interviews with representatives of the FBI and Pentagon, The content strongly suggests that the CIA obstructed official investigations to conceal its penetration of Al Qaeda. That's the judgment of four separate, unnamed FBI agents interviewed by Ken who worked on investigations into the 9-11 attacks. The most incendiary charges were leveled by a bureau agent referred to in his report as CS-23, who had, quote, extensive knowledge of counterterrorism and counterintelligence matters. CS-23 recounted how the CIA repeatedly lied and stonewalled the FBI in its investigations into Bayoumi. For example, while agency officials claimed to possess no files on him, when asked by Operation Encore representatives, CS-23 knew for a fact this was a falsehood, and the CIA maintained several operational files on Bayoumi, amounting to an extensive paper trail. Furthermore, CS-23 was certain that the CIA used its liaison relationship with the Saudi intelligence services to attempt to recruit Hazmi and Midhar and circumvent laws prohibiting the agency from conducting spying operations on U.S. soil by using Riyadh as a go-between. This account was backed up by another FBI investigator, cs 3 who further claims that Bayoumi setting up accounts and renting an apartment for the two hijackers in San Diego, quote, was done at the behest of the CIA. Any information provided to Bayumi would then be fed back to Alec Station. CS3 felt it odd that the CIA unit, situated in the U.S. and staffed by analysts, was involved in recruiting al-Qaeda operatives, as such work is typically the responsibility of case officers trained in covert operations based overseas. CSIO concurred that this arrangement was highly unusual and made it, quote, nearly impossible for Alex Station to develop informants inside of Al-Qaeda from its base several thousand miles from the country where Al-Qaeda was suspected of operating. Despite such tantalizing leads, CS23 claims FBI officials suppressed further investigations into the CIA's relationship with Bayoumi and the recruitment of Hazmi and Midhar and bureau representatives testifying before the joint Senate and congressional inquiry into 9-11 were instructed not to reveal the full extent of Saudi involvement with al-Qaeda. For their part, CS3 stated that before they and their colleagues were interviewed by the joint inquiry, CIA officials within Alex Station told them not to cooperate fully with investigators, and they were looking to hang someone for 9-11. Canestraro does not make any conclusions as to why the CIA concealed vital information from the FBI prior to the attacks, which potentially could have prevented their execution, and why the Bureau subsequently played along with the agency's cover-up, although one answer is provided by the unusual nature of Alex Station's setup, namely that far from infiltrating an Al-Qaeda cell to avert terrorism terrorism the agency was seeking to influence and direct its activities in order to cause terrorism outside standard recruitment channels. Having stumbled upon such a monstrous connivance, the FBI would have known well to leave the entire subject alone. And so yet another massive deep state lie to the American public is coming unraveled. Now, I know a lot of you who have thoroughly researched 9-11 would respond, yes, this story unraveled 20 years ago. All good. I'm talking about within the public narrative, this stuff is bubbling up. We got the JFK stuff. We got the Nixon stuff. Now you're getting a little 9-11. There was a great, not a deep fake video. It was kind of a cartoon animation video with an AI version of Merrick Garland's voice. Admitting Garland's role with the Oklahoma City bombing, we are seeing all sorts of major regime narratives just completely collapse. We are talking about major undermining of our society and of the government crimes against this nation and its people, massive traumas they have inflicted on the populace in order to continue Stealing more power from the people, creating more power for the state on behalf of the global regime. And over and over again, we find out that all of it is based on lies. turns out there's no reason to believe any of this stuff. And that's what we're doing as we are learning about what's happening now in the present and what they intend for us in the future. We are unwinding the laws of the past. We are probably going to have to unwind everything from this point back to the birth of this nation and probably a little further than that. That is the process that we're in. The awakening is the breakdown of the false reality in every aspect, which is not to say that I think we will get all the way there or that All of us need to be all the way there in order to advance. Obviously, that's not what I think. I do think we will reach a critical mass of people understanding that the regime in power, the evil twin faction in the United States, the establishment of both parties, the uniparty is at best completely untrustworthy and at worst trying to undermine the sovereignty of American citizens and our nation at every turn. And once people realize that, the rest of it kind of falls away. Now, I may have a chance to cover some of this next week, but I do want to encourage all of you to watch Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s full speech at Hillsdale College this past week. I've posted it on Telegram. I've posted it on Twitter. You can find it on Rumble. You're going to have a real hard time finding it on YouTube It's not even on Hillsdale's page. They have a little condensed version that's 15 minutes long. The whole speech is an hour. And Robert F. Kennedy Jr. essentially spends the entire hour tossing little chunks of the deep state into the wood chipper. And it's remarkable that the speech is being held at Hillsdale College, a conservative school, because Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is running for president as a Democrat. And he does certainly have a history of supporting liberal causes that all of us think are utterly absurd at this point. But with as hard as he is going after the deep state, we do owe him at least the opportunity to show us where he stands now on all of these issues. And this speech will honestly blow your minds. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Does that mean I'm somehow going to flip and start supporting Robert F. Kennedy Jr. over Donald Trump? No, I would not do that in a thousand years. But I am happy to see him elevated to a tier just below that. And maybe we will come to trust Robert F. Kennedy Jr. through his actions as he expands beyond just the vaccine area. If he's going to expose all the manipulations of the deep state, to a bunch of Democrats who won't listen to it from Donald Trump. Wonderful. If he's going to carry this primary process out to the end and we're going to watch the DNC steal it from Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and wake up half of the people who still identify with Democrats in the process, then that guy is on our side. I don't care that he has a little D next to his name. That paradigm is obsolete and irrelevant. We can find out whether he is supportive of conservative values in the process. I get that he hasn't been throughout his career. We need to see where the man is now and focus on the net effects of what he's doing. But this speech at Hillsdale is basically Robert F. Kennedy with a Gatling gun firing red pills at every Democrat who will ever watch it. And I would bet he'll blow some minds on our side as well. I'll be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'm your You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon. Out on the range.
1: And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com/slash style to get free shipping and three hundred and sixty-five day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
0: In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'mYourModerator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and Shoot. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct Shop.Spreadshirt.com slash Cancel-Couture.